1: Welcome to Manchester Is Red, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. Of course, a quick reminder at the start of this podcast, you can get us now on YouTube as well. Search the Manchester Is Red podcast on there if you want to see it as well as hear it. Um I'm your host, Rich Vay, and on today's show we'll look back at United's weekend win over Wolves. Look ahead to the match against Bournemouth on Tuesday night. And we'll also take a look at the January transfer window, which is now a relevant uh, topic of discussion, considering it is open. Uh, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by two men who haven't overslept their alarms, at least it doesn't look like it. Uh, Samuel Lukas, Tyrone Marshall, how are you both doing?
2: Yep, very well, thank you, Rich,
1: very well.
0: Yes, good, thank you, Rich, good. As Samuel can probably attest to, we no longer need uh, actual alarms, unfortunately, we I, uh, I was woken on New Year by the alarm that sleeps in the other room in, in this house, so that was, uh, that was particularly painful. I would, I would love the chance to oversleep.
1: Well, there's no sleep on you two today because we've got a lot to get through. Wolves at the weekend, you were both there at Molyneux. Another gritty but good win for United. They're making a habit of winning when they've not necessarily had a complete performance. But Samuel, let's start with you. Was a deserved three points, I thought?
2: Yeah, you could tell just from the, the scenes in the dugout just, just before uh, full-time and, and at full-time how important a win that was for United. It's it's always a slugfest at Wolves. Those games, they either end in a draw or a win by, by one goal. The thing that in, in the last 12 games they've played each other, that's, that's what it's come down to, whether it's at Old Trafford or at Molineux. Uh, Mercifully it was the first game between them in I think 362 days when at the start of 2020 they played each other three times in 32 days it really was becoming overkill United Wolves fixtures but United could have made it easier for themselves they had two, at least two excellent chances in the first half but goals are hard to come by. I think the fact that Rashford was on the bench was pretty telling him that that internal disciplinary that United declined to specify, it, it couldn't have been that bad because he was present and then he was summoned as, as, as soon as uh, the start of the second half. Took his goal very well, but I'm sure we'll come on to it. There are still fundamental issues with the attack, even though United are still winning, but Tottenham's result against Aston Villa, uh, to a lesser extent Newcastle dropping points, because I think everyone knows that Newcastle are going to fall away at some point I, I'm not um, you know undermining Eddie Howell there or, or, or trying to say that he's not doing as, as good a job as he is doing because he is but I nobody expects them to finish in the top four they've done phenomenally well to be in, in the top four as long as they have done but that and, and even City the fact that City are only four points clear of United as well uh, again it just accentuates the importance of that win over Wolves and as, as you say, it was another gritty victory. A lot of United's wins in the Premier League this season have been by the odd goal. That is a good habit to have. They do need to develop that habit of, of winning games much more easily, uh, similar to the Forest game, which was, was still a game they should have scored more goals in. And if they can get... That reinforcement in this month to really bolster the attack, and you even saw the impact that I- Igarlo had coming in, in that it actually helped Marshall out, and that they could rest Marshall for certain midweek games, and he'd do well in the league games at the weekend. So that that is still vital, but the fact that they are fourth, that they're in good form, they've won their last five, they have, I think it's only one defeat in fourteen now under Ten Hag. It's, it's been another another progressive week for them and it's been a very, very good start since the World Cup.
1: Of course, like you said there, brilliant that United can be in a healthy position and we've still got lots of room for them to improve And We've still got saying they can do this, they can do that. So it is really healthy in that regard. And like you said, the, the top four fight for it as well. United do have a clear advantage there and they've got this game in hand still to be played as well. Ty, uh, should we tackle the Rushford issue now. I mean I think it's been dealt with superbly by Ten Hag. The player knew he wasn't it wasn't acceptable to miss the meeting. He responded with a goal. They both said after the game, yeah, that's it, the the situation's done now. But it must be brilliant for United fans that they have got this authoritative figure in charge of the club and that discipline really is of importance now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the most important player, uh, sorry, the most important person at that club is is now the one in the technical area. And that's probably not been the case for a little while. Uh, at United, there's there's been no shortage of player power and a feeling that it's been a, a divided dressing room, one where people are pushing the boundaries. Things just haven't been, you know, haven't been really been working with regard to that dressing room. But Ten Hag has in, instilled authority. Like we're saying, that's three players now that he's basically disciplined and. And given a not necessarily public dressing down but has has made them aware of the standards expected we have garnacho on tour obviously ronaldo um with the the tottenham um refusing to come on and, and now rashford i mean the only error in amongst all of that i think was making ronaldo captain again 18 days after refusing to come on but beyond that the way the way he dealt with it initially was excellent the way that with rashford was was good like i say it, it was it was Given, given what he'd done with Ronaldo and gone, actually, it was never going to be the biggest misdemeanour to, to still be on the bench and oversleeping for a team meeting. I mean, it's not great. It's, it's not disastrous. Rashford seemed to accept the punishment in his broadcast interviews afterwards, while also kind of making the point himself that he didn't think it was necessarily the, the worst thing he could have done. Um, but, you know, these, these are the standards you set and that, that kind of discipline, that kind of authority... It, it can translate onto the pitch, and when you let discipline slide it, it off the pitch, it can often slide on the pitch. And you see that with with a lot of managers who lose their power and, and lose their authority. So, it, I mean, it worked out perfectly for him in the end that he could drop him, he could bring him on after 45 minutes. He did score the goal that that won the game at, at half time. You, you were kind of, I think, at half time in the press box and probably everywhere else, the conversation we were having was Rashford would have scored that chance that Garnacho got, and in the end, it, it proved irrelevant because Rashford did come on and. And score, and, and I mentioned in in one of the pieces that you don't often see that much emotion from Ten Hag on on the touchline, but he he really did celebrate that goal quite quite enthusiastically. And I think there was a bit of that probably where he he realised sort of how you know it was, it was a perfect day in a way for him that he he showed his authority. Rashford still came on and scored, keeps his his fine form going, and and they got like Samuel said the the win one that was. Wasn't pretty. It, it felt on seventy minutes like it was it was going to be goalless, but they've got an an in form attacker at, playing at half his game in their side, and like Simon touched on before, winning breeds winning, and they are winning games at the moment and finding ways to win games that they don't necessarily deserve. And I think I, I said on the drive home that that was a game where it was very similar to a lot of the United Wolves games recently. But if that was a Ranick or a Solskjaer United team. I don't think they'd have won that game. They're, they'd have probably drawn it nil-nil because Wolves never looked like scoring. But it's almost that belief that winning games gives you that you will just find a way to win it. And it becomes almost self-perpetuating, really, that you win games. And then you keep finding a way to win games, even when you, you don't necessarily deserve it. And I think they did deserve it on, on Saturday. But for a long time in the second half, it did look like it wasn't it wasn't going to come. And it wasn't like they were creating loads of chances. But they did find a way.
1: Of course, we've mentioned and we probably will mention again in a minute about United's bluntness up front and the lack of goals. Samuel alluded to earlier, there still missed opportunities and on another day, United could have won that by a more comfortable margin. But you only need to score one goal if you're not letting any in at the other end. It's now nine clean sheets in United's last 12 games. Samuel, how impressed have you been with that defensive transformation? Because United are the informed defensive team in the Premier League and it's been done with a makeshift back four as well.
2: It has gone under the radar a little how miserly they've been at home in the league and that they've not conceded a Home League goal since uh, Saka equalised for Arsenal, and that was at the very start of September. I think one fan um, who would I think he, set, he came up with the stat about Varane and how few goals United have conceded with him on the pitch this season, he actually said after the Wolves game that United have literally not conceded a goal with Varane and Casemiro on the pitch. And when you consider those are the two players who Ten Hag has probably spoken about most reverentially, it's it's not a surprise whatsoever. They Those two both have an aura about them. They're both serial winners. It was interesting during that stoppage in the second half that Ten Hag, uh, I can't remember, it might have been Kunio who went down injured, but Ten Hag called Casemiro And it was only Casemiro to read some instructions that he was showing on his little um, tactics binder or I think it was I think it was a tactics board it looked like one of those travel games that you take away when you're going on a long journey and kids play in the back of the car but the fact that he's talking to Casemiro when there are other players uh, far nearer I think Rashford was nearer to him Malassia would have been nearer to him but it was Casemiro who he wanted to talk to just speaks volumes of of Casemiro's presence on the pitch he is pretty much the on-pitch lieutenant for, for Ten Hag Varane didn't put a foot or a head wrong all afternoon. It felt like every ball that went in the area, he seemed to nod it away with maybe the exception. And it would have massively undermined his performance had had Jimenez put that chance in at the end. That was maybe the only lapse. But Varane had a very good debut there last season against Wolves when I think he just got caught out the one occasion when Saiz had that header where he should have scored and De Gea made a a great save on the follow-up. But, but Varane, for, for someone who very, very briefly in, in the summer was United's fourth-choice centre-back, there have not been three better centre-backs than him in, 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 on the planet this season. He, he's he been immense for United more often than not. It's not a coincidence that the goal at City started after he got injured. He was off the pitch for the second goal. The third goal, which was I mean, world-class uh, cross from De Bruyne, world-class finish from Haaland. But he wasn't at his optimum then, so you have to factor that into it as well. He he's. It seems like anyone who plays with him becomes better, and Shaw has done very well as a centre half in the back three. He's done exceptionally well as a centre half in the back two in recent games. Yes, it's been against teams who've been in the, in the relegation zone, and and Wolves are a very blunt side. It's it's still pretty peculiar that. However much they've progressed and developed in recent years, they still can't quite identify a striker who can score them 50 to 20 goals this season. Jimenez was a decent striker before he had that uh, terrible injury, unfortunately. But still, when when I think when the team sheet dropped and we saw that Shaw was playing the centre-back again and Diego Costa was, uh, was starting, you'd think, well, Costa might be licking his lips here. There was an early examination of Shaw, passed it with flying colours, didn't look back. Costa was was off at half-time. And in fairness as well, at fullback, wan had a f- few decent performances. He obviously got the assist in the game against Burnley. He's, he's not done too much in an attacking sense since then, but I don't think he's ever going to. Um, defensively, when, when he's on it, he is... He's he's excellent. Uh, it's it's been a long time since he has been excellent defensively. He he, he certainly wasn't last season. And there were a lot of issues the season before that as well with him getting caught out with balls over his head to the far post and um he was he was misjudging things. But I think the way it's going now, it would be a surprise if, if United were to let him go because he's he's part of that eight-band of defenders that you need in a squad. You need two right-backs, two left-backs, four centre-backs. And now that he's actually playing games, there is a little bit of competition there for Diogo Dalot.
1: Speaking of competition and tight, Harry Gwaii did come on towards the end, made an important contribution right at the end as well that maybe you won't get as much credit for that he deserves. But his future at the club, the fact that Luke Shaw is playing at centre-back, you know, I mean, 10 Hawks after the game, that he likes having the left-footed centre-back there. He's, he said that all, all summer since uh, Martin has signed anyway, that he likes to have those extra angles and it helps with the way that they orchestrate from the back. But for Maguire now, is it time that he really does have to consider his future at the club, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's it, it's a scenario that's, that's probably not sustainable for the for the long term. Um you know, it, it does feel. I mean, he's not going to want to be fourth choice, and he quite clearly is at, at least fourth choice. And if you're only playing left footers, if you're Martinez and Shaw, your left footed options, then you're looking at Varane, Lindelof, and Maguire on the right. I mean, he's he's not going to get a lot of games, and he, you know, he did win those two defensive headers in the same the same move basically for that corner that you mentioned in there. Um, but that's that's kind of what he thrives on. That's why he's good for England. It's his best game for United this season, maybe maybe the whole of last year, was against West Ham when they won 1-0 at Old Trafford when they were terrible in the second half and they just dropped deeper and deeper and deeper to defend and it became a case of defend 18-yard line, even 12 yards out and Maguire was brilliant because it was head it, kick it, get rid of it and he's he, he's strong in that. He's a good defender in that situation. When he's got to defend the halfway line, when he's got to defend one-on-one, it's it's probably not his strength and unfortunately that's what's required now at United and it does feel like he doesn't Really fit. I think he probably knows he's got to be playing to keep his place in in the England team. Um, and also, it's just it, it's an issue for United because he's he's still the club captain. He got the armband when he came on on uh, Saturday, but he's clearly not. He, he's for you can't have a captain that's fourth choice centre back. It's just not it's not possible. And Ten Hag's mentioned a lot about team spirit and the dynamics in the dressing room and. You just wonder how that relationship's gonna work when Fernandez is captaining him on the pitch every week. Maguire might be coming on for two minutes at the end and gets the armband, who's giving the speeches in the dressing room, who's and there's far more to being a captain, especially this day and age, than just speaking to the referee and, and leading it on the pitch. There's the issues throughout the week, being the conduit between coaching staff and players, is that Maguire? Is that Fernandez? It's it's gonna become confusing and I think it's it is unsustainable the, the way things are going. The embarrassing issue for United is that they paid £80 million for him and they'd probably be lucky to get £30 million at the moment. Um, it's hard to see how another top six side would would want him on this evidence. I still think beyond that, he's a very good Premier League defender. I think there's, there's you know, if, if Maguire was up for sale this summer, I imagine there's 12, 13 teams in the Premier League that would want to sign him and he, that he would probably improve. He just gets really it. I don't think. He probably would at the moment get in Tottenham's team, yeah. And I think the vast majority of sides outside of the top six, he would he would he would get in their teams. It's just not worked for United. And it's you know, it's reached a point where it's it's clear to everyone it's not working, and you just you look at how comfortable he looks for England and then comes back to United, and there just seems to be almost a mental block now about being at United that he mm-hmm. knows He's under so much pressure here that everything's being watched and just feels like he needs a clean break. And I think it would be best for everyone if he departed in the summer. The issue for United, like I say, is he's getting a buyer for him. I mean, you could have a summer where they're trying to sell Wambasaka and Maguire and getting maybe £45-50 million maybe, for the two of them when they spent hundred and thirty five million on them and twenty five million on them uh four years ago. So, you know, it's it's not a great look, but I think, for many reasons, <laughs> it is it is unsustainable, and the, even just for the dressing room dynamics and, and that sort of situation, I think it's it's best for both parties. I think that he he moves on.
1: So, we're looking ahead then to Bournemouth on Tuesday night. You've done the line today on the Manchester City News that United could welcome back some some players for the game: Luke Shaw, oh sorry, Scott McTominay, Lisandro Martinez, and Joe Vidalo all back in contention to, to possibly feature, but that doesn't mean they all go into the lineup for the game. How do you handle the returning players, sort of personally? Because they've got to maybe ease back in after a while without football, but Bournemouth at home is surely the type of game where you can afford to do that. But then on the flip side, is it fair to drop Wampersaka? Is it fair to drop Luke Shaw for playing well in these, in these roles?
2: Well, Shaw sure would obviously... Just switch to left back. You would have thought. I think Meliasi has done all right in in these three games that he started as well. And I, I suppose the the bonus with him is that he he didn't play at all for the Netherlands at the World Cup. So there's probably more of an element of risk bringing him straight back into the team than other players who who had had you know, fulfilling playing time in Qatar. But he's you know, he's he's a very good athlete and he's he's shown that uh, with with Shaw. He's he's England's best left-back and he's the best left-back at United so I don't think it's logical to persist with him at centre-back especially when they're going to be playing City next week now isn't it so that's not far off uh, you want Martínez to be ready for that game He's he's been possibly United's best player this season and he has to come back into the team at some point i don't think the is it's strange how the world cup can change the dynamic i mean dallo's hamstring strain has has given one a second chance this season but there has to come a point where you do pick your best players again and and dallo is the best right back at united and this this period this eight day period we're speaking on the Monday, is is very handy for United in that they've got two cup games, two eminently winnable cup games. I mean, they, they should be getting away with a re- reasonable rotation against Everton on Friday and, and Charlton on Tuesday. They have the bonus of that Charlton game being five days before the derby as well, which I think helps their, their preparations. They've got such good momentum going into this game against Bournemouth that... I think to excessively rotate would would be counterproductive. That you might look at Fred and think there's a temptation to bring him in because he he played well when he came on. At Molyneux, he was certainly a lot more energetic than Eriksson, who's quite lackluster. On the flip side, Eriksson, he's a technician, and if if Bournemouth are quite stubborn to break down, he is someone that you want on the pitch to try and breach them to try and pick the lock. So maybe the time to rest Ericsson or, or rotate Ericsson is against Everton on Friday or um or against Charlton certainly on on the Tuesday so I mean look, we, we've said before Ten Hag doesn't really do weaken teams the most rotation he's ever done was probably against Real Sociedad and he still started to Brazil Brazil internationals in in midfield uh I think Ronaldo started that game didn't he Harry Maguire the United captain started that game they're it was. It was still an extremely strong side, and United had only lost because of a pretty bad refereeing call on what was a very, very strange night because of the news that had um, that had emerged earlier in the day. It was like nobody cared afterwards, even though it did have, you know, it could have major ramifications on United's season, given that they they didn't win that group. But really, I, I the way they have to see it is that this is another opportunity, as as it was at the weekend, to play their strongest team i think most people now looking at that squad would agree that although there are, you know there were certainly drawbacks with some of the members of the front four anthony fernandez rushford marshall is united's main first choice attacking quartet casemiro and erickson are the two best midfielders martinez and Vran are the two best defenders Shaw, dallo de gea uh Clearly, although Dallo and Martinez had had trained last week, uh, it it clearly wasn't enough. And I think with Dallo you don't want to take that risk where he has just been out for three weeks with a hamstring strain. So I understand that. Maybe slightly more surprising that that Martinez wasn't in the squad whatsoever. But bar Sancho, they're pretty much at full strength now, I think. And they, they need Sancho back and they need him back in the form that he was in in February and March last season because he could be... You could have a huge role to play for United this season. There is a lack of quality and depth there, and Garnacho has already shown this season, uh, more so as a, I mean, more, more so as a substitute than as a starter, how how impactful and how influential you can be off the bench, and that can get you into the into the team as as he has done. So they they do need Sancho back in sooner rather than later. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the team or the squad for this Bournemouth game, but you would hope for his sake and United's sake, he is is available for selection against Everton or Charlton otherwise if he's I mean if he's not coming in, if if Ten Hag is not factoring in into the selection for the Charlton game, a league one team just you know the the most ideal kind of opponent probably to to ease him or reintegrate him into the squad then there's going to be more um there's going to be more suspicion about what's actually going on there because then you're you're approaching what two months since he went to the netherlands to start training and um th- there has to come a point where the individual sessions end and he's, he's he's back doing squad training and he's actually you know doing what his job is which is is playing football on at a competitive and, and regular level
1: Ty, in terms of the team's lectures of Tuesday night then, we're all expecting Marcus Rashford to, to return to the lineup. For you, who does he come in and replace? Garnacho has been good off the bench. I thought he was poor again against Wolves, missed that, that chance in the first half. But there probably is argument to say Rashford t- should start through the middle considering that Marshall, in the last three games I've watched him, has looked well off it as well.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't think Marshall had a great game on Saturday. I thought he was, he was pretty average really i was quite excited to not excited but quite keen to see what his impact would be like because in in sort of minimal minutes in the first half of the season his contribution was excellent but now he's got a run of starts he's kind of struggling to to back that up but i would i would stick with the same front three i thought anthony was better at at molyneux as well still not influencing games enough but i think he he did a lot better he, he had that header that he was involved in creating with the ball to Garnacho and just generally looked a lot more of a threat, got a lot of space as well. So I, I think I would stick with the same front three for now. And then Everton and Charlton coming up at home as well. I think you can you can make changes then. The um, thing with Rashford is you, you could play him through the middle, but I think it's clear now he's, he's at his best off the left. And at the moment, he looks United's most likely, most threatening attacker, most likely goal scorer. So you want to play him in in his best position for me, which I, I think is off the left, and I'm not sure it's risk. I'm not sure it's a risk worth taking to move him and and play Garnacho and Anthony on the wings and, and Rashford through the middle. I think I'd just keep Rashford where he is for now and maybe look to to rotate and, and make changes in the next two games. But you're right that the form of it, it, it's United's you know, benefit in a way that they're playing so well that certainly Anthony and Saul Saturday had been pretty poor for two months now maybe I mean even the start of his career he, he got those three goals but didn't influence those games that often and he's had a very slow start and actually made the comparison with Sancho last week that because United are winning games there's there's no real spotlight on on Anthony yeah. he's an 85 million pound winger who isn't playing particularly well but it doesn't really matter because the team's winning Sancho was a 73 million pound winger he was underperforming an underperforming team and the pressure in the spotlight on, on Sancho was so much greater and it's it's fortunate for Anthony in a way that he has been given this time to to settle in and and the pressure's off because the rest of the team is is performing so well. So yeah, I in terms of the front three, I, I wouldn't make any changes for this game, especially not with the momentum they've built in the league and, and the fact you know they could go third, they could go within point of city. You've got a really tough game on on Thursday. So I think I'd I'd stick with that front three, which I think is United's best attack at the moment. But the form of Martial will become a concern if it if it continues through January, for sure.
1: We keep on mentioning these Cup games coming up as a chance for rotation. It's probably a shame that Martin Dubravka didn't stick around for another <laughs> week. Samuel, he's gone back to uh, Newcastle. I mean, I guess it's it's newsworthy to talk about, but such a strange situation there and really odd that he was given those opportunities ahead of Tom Heaton earlier this season as well.
2: It, it certainly was. When when United were in for Dubravka, it didn't make a lot of sense in that he seemed too high-profile a goalkeeper to recruit on what was always going to be a backup basis at best. You, you could never be certain that he was going to be number two. And, and his status was inconsistent. I think when he first came in, he was number three. Then Heaton... I don't know if Heaton had an injury or not, but then uh, Dubravka was number two, then he was number three again, then Heaton did have an injury uh, in, in early November, and, and Dubravka got that opportunity against Villa. Uh, in, in Spain, against uh, Cadiz, he was pretty shaky in that game. Uh, Heaton had a very good half against Real Betis in, in the other friendly, and then Dubravka started against Burnley, and he was, a, he was a danger to his own side. He He's a goalie who I've never particularly rated. I've... Um, I, I was, you know, <laughs> I was ribbing Stephen Railson, our esteemed colleague, about this. Uh, how it, it was almost as if his reputation was enhanced by the little goldfish bowl that is Newcastle, and because he saved them a few points in a few big games, his, you know, his his form or his his quality was overrated just by some some enthusiastic Geordies, which I think there is an element of truth in. But whenever I watched him, he was always good for a clangor. Um, I think Kieran Kelly who again I mean formerly of this parish he, he used to say that he could make some good saves but then I don't know after the fourth or fifth good save he, he would drop an absolute dolly and I think he did in the Euros as well uh, a pretty bad one where he might he, I think the ball went up in the air and he just he dropped it it might have gone down as a known goal for him so uh sometimes with with goalkeeping signings back up once it's it's very easy to just be immediately underwhelmed when, when Sergio Romero signed for United he was a free agent and he looked really really dodgy at the World Cup in in 2014 and Argentina do not produce good goalkeepers traditionally either it turned out that he was the as good a number two as you could ever come across and that he was he, he's he's that knee injury he had restricts him to a certain number of games. He was happy being a number two, and he was almost always a dependable number two help United win the Europa League in twenty seventeen. But when it comes to judging goalkeepers, you just have to judge on who's who the who's the best one and and Heaton is a far better goalkeeper than debravka, and it just didn't make much sense to bring someone in who was essentially just competing with Heaton. Um, I think someone at United actually referred to Dubravka as a top-class goalkeeper and I don't think anyone in Newcastle would have ever referred to him as top-class. Um, so, it, as I said, it was for, for a club that are really stockpiling goalkeepers, it was an odd move. And the three they've got at the moment are all technically still out of contracts in the summer. So there are a few... One, obviously, important decision to be made there, although I think it's uh, with, with Dav De Gea if they've not got him tied down a new contract before the summer they'll just they'll just trigger his extension anyway. Heaton I think is worth keeping around whether it's as a number two or a number three next season I suppose a strange, the only stranger signing than Martin Dubravko would probably be Nathan Bishop who's still at United nearly three years on and as I said quite recently I think Ty's had more uh, games between the sticks at Old Trafford than he has so I can't quite work that one out and I've never been able to but um, at least United are keep, keeping clean sheets anyway, with and without Dubravko, I suppose.
1: Ty, Johnny Chancellor window is open now. United fans will be in overdrive. <laughs> There'll be lots of names linked as well in the gossip columns. United still making it their priority to try and get an extra body in uh, this month. As Samuel said at the start of the pod as well, that it, it maybe might be someone in the Igalo mould in the fact that he not an extra where they can rest Marshall and, and have an extra option up front for you is there any standout name at this moment in time and it's still very much looking like a loan option will be the most likely for United
0: yeah I think you know looking at the players available I think the, the two for me that I think would add something in and improve the squad and be be good options would be Depay or how Felix. You know, you're looking to sign a striker on loan in January. You're not you're not going to get any better than Memphis Depay or or Harry Felix, I don't think. And I know there's history with with United and Depay, um, and and Felix is is probably going to be expensive. Although that price might come down the, the later it goes in the window, depending on if it goes anywhere else. Because I think his his, his course is clearly run at Letco Madrid. You know, beyond that, you just you're just not going to get a decent striker on loan in in January, and you are going to end up with someone in the Igalo mode. I saw someone mention over the weekend that Ronaldo's gone to Al Nasser, and I think they've got Vincent Aboubakar as well, who who might now be surplus to requirements. And you know, he could he could go to United on loan. Um, you know, I, I mean, Depay or Felix would clearly be be better options than that. And I don't I don't think United would do any better than than either of those two. Really, and I know there's. You know, you, you be careful to judge to, to judge the mood of a fan base on Twitter. But every time Depay or Felix is mentioned, you get fans <laughs> saying they don't want it to happen. But I'm not quite sure who who fans are expecting. Who, who do they, they want to Depay happen? Felix then? I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Enzo Fernandez looks I mean, This, I it. Looks oh, well, this is it. This is this yeah. is the fans who are weird. transfer. It's well, by midfielder for 100 million. Mission. Yeah, winning the transfer by a, by though, a midfield of 100 million,
1: he's worse than the one they spent 70 million on? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and plays in the same position.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I think either of Depay or Felix by the end of the window, and I think you'd have to say that's a pretty reasonable result, really. I think both would certainly, yeah, it's a good compromise. They're, they're going to be cheap enough options. Um, it certainly wouldn't cost any more. Shouldn't cost any more than the 16 million you've saved on Ronaldo's wages would clearly be competition for Martial, could play instead of Martial and contribute to a top fourteen. So I, I think either of those two would be decent sign-ins by the end of the month, to be honest.
1: Uh, Simon and I discussed this at the game the other week uh, what type of striker do you think they want though because obviously they've had more success with a mobile option in you know, Marshall and they have that sort of fluid front three, worked wonders in, in pre-season but hasn't been as successful in recent weeks but do you not think that they need someone who's just a bit different up front someone who is a bit more physical and a focal point
0: maybe but, I, but I, I'm not sure it really matters Yeah, sorry go on no, 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 no,
2: I, I agree with that I just think the way Ten Hag has spoken, it's it sounds like it has it has taken it on from just a forward to a striker. And he's spoken about the balance of the attack as well. And clearly, Rashford is better from the left. If Marshall gets injured, Rashford has to play there. Garnaccio is always going to be inconsistent because of his age. Sancho is out of the picture. Elanga. Is not. I mean, I don't think he's really good enough. United. He's he could put in a shift, but he can't put the ball in the back of the net. And also, Everton wants him. Palestry is pretty much out of the picture because he's never been used. Anthony only plays on the right. So when you weigh that up, it, it makes sense to go for someone who's going to be like backup or keeping Marshall on his toes. And look, if 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 the striker. Um, takes Marshall's place, then who cares really? I think the interesting thing about this period of Marshall starting consecutive games is that that whole they really miss out Marshall, which they did in the the start of the season when he was coming into games, he was contributing, he was doing well. But this consistent run has reminded everyone that he's not consistent and that you can't rely on him, and that's why they're going to sign a striker. So Marshall's always on borrowed time, really. Um him, him and Rashford, have, it's not a coincidence, they thrived a few seasons ago when there was no Ibrahimovic, no Lukaku, no Cavani, no Ronaldo, no obvious front man that meant they were going to fade into the background. But with those two there as the main men, United are never going to be at the level they aspire to be, which is to be title challengers. So someone has to come in. So, Nar- so Marshall's nose is going to be put out of joint again. And that's his fault. When Cavani came in, everyone saw him because of the season. Marshall just had as backup to Marshall, and in the end, he just took his place because he's a better striker and he wanted it more. And Marshall's not going to change. He's twenty-seven, and there were times during the Wolves game where Costa was putting more of a shift in than Marshall was. And um, the the coaches at United have said that they they really think they really rate. Marshall's timing of his pressings and that he he does them at specific moments and the more you think about it you you think is that is that just them kind of like is, is that face saving really is that them trying to you know account for how lethargic he can look and it's it is frustrating because Ten Hag sees him as a complete striker who's got the attributes who's got the physicality the pace but you still don't quite believe him as a number nine, and this is his this is eighth season at United. I I defy anyone to you know come up with a name in United history who really started to turn it on as a striker in their eighth season and then maintained it onwards. It, it can't have ever happened, so that's why they're going to sign a striker. Um, but I think your your point, Rich, is a is a valid one in that although that Ahmad's on loan, they if. Anthony is, is playing by default and I think he's, his position is always safeguarded because he's left-footed. But when he comes out of that team, whether it's it's I mean it's mainly through injury this season, that attack is, the, the balance just goes out the window because it's, I mean, Fernandes has played on the right. Elanga's played on the right, doesn't look comfortable there. Rashford's actually done pretty well on the right in, in recent weeks for England and United. So that's maybe something they'd have to look at if that was to happen. But it's it's not an ideal situation. That's that's the thing. Although United are getting wins and they're important wins, they do need that extra extra body. Ma- makes it sound like they can just I don't know loaning <laughs> Paul Paul Mullin from Wrexham or something like that. Or maybe maybe he could be an inspired <laughs> deal. Um, but they they really do need some some extra quality up there. That's going to be you know, going to at least keep the, the the starting forwards on their toes. I think.
0: So exactly. I was going to say the the interesting thing with Tenaga Ajax was that is that that first great team, so to speak, that he had the one that reached the Champions League semis. He had Tadic playing the full season as a false nine. I think the following season he had Klaus Jan Huntelaar playing, who's probably more of a poacher fox in the box. Then he signed Haller, who's a target man. So he didn't appear to be a, a manager who had a specific type of centre forward in mind. You know, you think of someone like Mourinho, we know what kind of striker. Mourinho wants he wants a proper physical dominating number nine, whereas Ten Hag doesn't seem that that fussed really. So I, I don't. You're right. A target man or someone more physical would be a point of difference. But he doesn't strike me as the type of manager who's got a specific mm. thought in in mind. And I think you know to go back to the two I mentioned. I think you're right about. I mean, the, the risk with the pie I think would probably be that he'd end up treading on on Rashford's toes and they'd operate in sort of similar similar positions. they both kind of like to, to come from the the left or the inside left channel, but Someone like Felix being used as a, a number nine or as a false nine and linking with Fernandez, I think would would have would have a future for the rest of this season and would certainly offer some you know improvements on Martial, arguably, or at least some some decent competition.
1: Are you surprised that we've not seen more involvement of the the young strikers, Hugel and McNeil, both nineteen now? You'd expect maybe one of them to be there or thereabouts, at least getting maybe more of a chance than we've seen this season.
2: Not not really. I've I think those two still look quite raw. Um, McNeil's scoring record this season hasn't been particularly good, I don't think. And Hugo unfortunately has had some some injury issues that have certainly disrupted the momentum he had in his in his first season at United when he was he was prolific and um I think he was it he was doing some work experience at Forest Green last season and he, he got injured mm-hmm. and he was out for a while so then he wasn't starting in the youth cup games which was a pity so he was reduced to more of a a bit part role there but neither of them look remotely ready for, for this level um, and you, you wouldn't necessarily bank on either of them going out on loan this month. Um, the, the under-21s have had a it's, it's not been a great season at all really I think they've had one win in the Premier League two and um, relegation is a very real prospect there so uh, you have to factor that in but I don't think there's ever really been a compelling case for for either of them to come in. Um, I think it would have, you'd have to have a kind of like Rashford in February twenty sixteen scenario yeah. where literally every other striker known to man is is unavailable.
1: in terms of other of business this month, then can fans? I mean, we joked about Enzo Fernandez before, there's no way that's going to happen. Is there any other position you could see United strengthening if if something appeared or very much just striker-focused in terms of possible arrivals?
0: I think just striker-focused, really. I, I think probably a month ago, three weeks ago, we'd have said a right-back, but Wamba bissaka has done enough in these four, three, four games. Um, three games, is it? He, he's done enough, I think, to prove that he can be decent competition slash backup for for Dallo, that you, you can wait until the summer now to assess your options at right back, I think. I'm sure they'll want to sign another another keeper. I mean, people at United were a bit non-committal about it yesterday, but I'd be amazed if they wanted to go through the rest of this season with, with Nation Bishop as, Nathan Bishop as, as your number three. I mean, I, I can't say i have checked this, but I would imagine every Premier League club, or certainly maybe 18 of the 20, have three experienced goalkeepers on their books now and most clubs want a number three who is is you know experienced enough to step in really if if anything happens because talking you know De Gea could get injured tomorrow night's game and and you're left with Tom Eaton as number one for the rest of the season that that might be manageable but then you've got Nathan Bishop as as number two, Eaton gets a red card, Bishop's got to play three games you know it's it's very easy for these things to escalate in terms of, of goalkeepers and I think they will want a, a replacement for Dubravka in in some shape or form, whether that's another loan move or maybe a, a free agent out there. Um, but I don't think it will be exciting. I think the um, in terms of exciting or or decent deals, I think the only one for me would be a striker. I don't really see the need to do to do anything else in this window.
1: Is Romero on at Bocca and goalkeepers? Rich. Are, you, are you up for it, Ty? Yeah, Romero is up at, at Bocca, but um, Tyro Marshall. Um, Doing jobs. Yeah. A job. yeah. S- sit sitting around the corner. You used to concede if you were home, so.
0: I'll, I'll bring my boots on. You're there tomorrow, Rich, but I'll bring my boots on <laughs> I'll bring the boots and my gloves on Friday to the press box just in case.
1: We do indulge in this uh, this this match. We, we we mention it almost every week, don't we, that we <laughs> do this <that> we <laughs> match. And, time, we, we're
0: time.
1: using
2: it as motivation oh, to right. to have a, a, a better better performance and better result at the end of the
0: season pitch game hopefully yeah anyone would think we'd won the amount we talk about it yeah yeah. yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> oh well you got to take you got to take these small victories haven't you um, thank you very much both of you for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast um, we will be back later in the week after the game against Bournemouth and we we'll look ahead to that match against Everton on Friday night so Ty Samuel thank you very much once again thank you Rich thanks Rich and thank you very much wherever you are in the world again a plug for the YouTube channel just search Manchester is Red podcast on there you'll be able to watch the full episode with video as well Uh, if you're new around here please leave a like and subscribe and we will see you again next time